this study off last week, and we got through one verse, right? If you were here last Sunday, we got through one verse. Today, we're going to get through a lot more than just one verse. But I, I want to get us on the same page. I want to do kind of a quick flyby, because here's the deal. Anytime that we unpack a book of the Bible like this, it's important for us to know, like, who's writing to us? Like, who is the author? What's going on in their lives? Like, where are they coming from? Like, what, what's, what, what's their background? Who are they? What, what, where are they coming from? And, and really, honestly, why are they writing? Why are they, why are they writing this to, to, to whether it's a group of people or, or it's just historical information? Like, why are they writing this? Like, what's the point? And here's what we learned last week, all right? And, and if you, you want to take notes, there's a really easy way to do that. Take out your phone, take a picture of the screen, right? If you don't have something you're writing in, the best way to take notes, grab a screenshot, okay? Here's what we know about James. James was Jesus' younger half-brother, right? So, so Jesus was the oldest, right? And Jesus had half-brothers, right? He had younger half-brothers. James was one of those younger half-brothers. And James, here's what we learned last week, spent most of his life not believing in Jesus. James spent most of his life not believing in Jesus. We, we talked about a few times Last week in, in the Bible where we see that, that, that James either thinks Jesus is crazy, like there was one moment where, where Jesus preaches like his first sermon in his hometown church, and the people in the church, like they want to throw Jesus off a cliff, and we don't see anywhere in scripture where, where James or Jesus' brothers try to stop him. We're like, yeah, we know, we've heard it all before. Right, and there's this moment even in John where it flat out says, Jesus' brothers did not believe in him, Right? So James spent most of his life not believing in Jesus, but something happened. Something happened where everything changed. And where we pick up with James in, in, this, in this book, this letter that he's writing, James is actually the leader in this point in time. He's the leader and pastor of this first, very first community and family of believers in Jesus. We would call that a church, right? And so in, in, the, first, in, in, the, in the beginning of this letter, James, we talked about this last Sunday, introduces himself as a bond servant, right, or a bond slave to Jesus, which we talked about, the Greek word for that is the word doulos, and a bond slave or a bond servant to someone is, is like it says here, it's someone who willingly chooses to live a life in obedient, loyal, and humble service to somebody else. It's not by force, it's by choice. So that's who James is. That's a little bit of his life a little bit of his background, and that's kind of where he is now. And so while James could have slid a pretty impressive resume across the table at us, like, here's who I am, I'm Jesus' half-brother, like, I got a lot going on, he doesn't do that. The only thing that James wants to be known for and known as is someone who chose to give every aspect of his life to Jesus. And so kind of based on that, we asked this really loaded question last week, and that's this. Would being solely known as a follower, believer, and servant of Jesus be enough for us? Or would you want and need more? Like, think about that. Like, we all have reputations. There, there, there are things that we're known for, right? Whether it's personality or, or, or job title or status. Like, there are things that, we, that we're known for. Like, maybe we're known for being somebody that's extroverted or somebody that's funny or introverted or smart or whatever it is. Like, those are things that we're known for. But here's the question. If, if you are only known for and known as being a follower, believer, and servant of Jesus, would that be enough? Would that be enough or, or would you need more? Super loaded question, right? And here's why, here's why knowing all of this, like why we had to go through all that background stuff, 
here's why this matters, right? Here's why knowing all this stuff matters. It's easy for us to assume when we read the Bible that people in the Bible are like righteous robots, right? They're just programmed to do the right thing all the time. Like they have zero trouble like trusting and obeying what God calls them to do. It's like God calls them to do something crazy and they're like, yes, Lord, right? Like that's what they do, right? Like it's easy to assume, right, that somebody like James, maybe because he was like a half relative, he was half related to Jesus, it's easy to assume that somebody like James was born with superhuman faith. Like all of this truth and understanding was kind of downloaded into James's righteous robot brain the moment that he was born. And because of that, like he's got faith and, and he's got abilities and he's got all this that we will never have. But one of the things we say here at Adventure a lot is Bible people are just people people. Like they're not, they're just like us. And James, what we know from his life is he knows firsthand what it's like to struggle with and wrestle with making the leap of faith from being somebody who didn't believe in Jesus to being someone who not only believed in Jesus, but gave his life to serving Jesus. James knows what that's like, which means this. If you in this room today have, have made a decision at some point in your life to believe in and trust and follow Jesus, James knows what it's like to make that choice. He knows what it's like. He knows what it's like to get to that place and come to that point where it's like, all right, you know what? I'm ready. I'm ready to say yes to Jesus. I'm ready to trust Jesus, and I'm ready to entrust my life to Jesus. Here's the thing. If you're in this room this morning and you're wrestling through that, like you're wrestling through that, you know, maybe getting to that place, maybe getting to that place of trust in Jesus just hasn't been easy. James knows what that's like. He knows what it's like to have a hard time, to struggle sometimes with, with doubt, to struggle with questions, to struggle with faith. And I think a lot of times we believe, that, like, if you're a Christian, if you're a follower of Jesus, like, you're not allowed to do those things. Like, you're not allowed to ask questions. Or you're not allowed to say, I, I, you know, I'm having a hard time with it. That's not true. We talked about this last week. Jesus, Jesus is totally okay with people asking him questions. Jesus is totally okay with, with, with answering questions that, that surround our doubts and our fears. But there are also times that Jesus would say, you know what? You just got to trust me. You just got to trust me. But to think for a, for a second that, that as a believer in Jesus or someone who is, who is seeking that, right, trying to get some answers to, to these questions we have, to think that we're not allowed to doubt or ask questions, like that's crazy. Some people ask me, like, you know, like, I don't know, you know am I allowed to doubt? Am I allowed to have, am I allowed to wrestle with faith? And I'm like, welcome to the club, right? And I'm a professional Christian. I get paid to talk about Jesus, Right? Like, welcome, to, it, it, it is, sometimes there, there, there are moments where you go, I, like, I, I got some questions about this, and Jesus goes, listen, you're going to have to trust me. And there are other times where, like, Jesus, I got some questions about this, and he's like, well, let me point you to this place in, in, in the Bible, let me point you to this place in my word, right? And so, here's the thing, Je like, James' kind of core message is this, Jesus changes everything. And James, he was living proof of that. James was living, breathing proof of the fact that Jesus changes everything. And so here's kind of where we're going to go for the rest of today, right? James, what he experienced in his life was a deeply personal kind of internal transformation, right? That took place in his life because, right, it came from putting his faith in Jesus. James chose to trust Jesus, right? He put his faith in Jesus, grew in that, right, internal, right? And what that did is that caused an internal transformation in James' life.
James was not and is not the person he was before. But here's what also happens. James also experienced the public or external transformation that Jesus brings through us to a world in need when we live faithfully. When we live faithfully to the truth that Jesus puts in our hands, right, through his word, when we live faithfully to the with God life, there's transformation that works through us. And so here's something again. Take a picture of this, right? Faith, just so we understand, to kind of have some definitions. Faith, that's what we believe. Like faith is what or who we believe in. Faith is what we believe in or who we believe in that we think is going to best take care of us or provide for us. Like that tends to be the things. Like every single one of us has some kind of faith, right? Every single one of us has some kind of faith. There is something that we choose to trust or believe in because we believe or we trust or that thing has or that person has promised to take care of us and provide for us and make sure that we're okay. All of us have faith, right? All of us have faith. And then the way we live based on that faith, we call that faithfulness. Right, so that's the difference between faith and faithfulness. Faith is what we believe in or who we believe in. Faithfulness is then how we live our lives based on faith. So it's important for us to kind of understand that. So here's why that matters. The, the, the rhythm of challenge that we're going to get today, that we're going to start to see from James, here's, what, here's what's, here's what's going to happen, right? James, his goal is to help us practically grow stronger and become more deeply rooted in our personal faith. And the reason for that is so Jesus can bring transformation to the world around us through our public faithfulness. Right? So James, what he wants to do is give us some practical how-tos when it comes to rooting and planting our life in Jesus. Right? We believe that Jesus is good. We believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he can do everything that he promised, that he wants good for our lives, that nobody can take care of us like he can. And because that's where our faith is, faithfulness, the way, the way we live our lives, gets wrapped around that. Like, that's James' goal. So remember I said this last week. James, the book of James, the letter of James is 108 verses long. And 50, so nearly half of those verses, they're commands. So James, he, what we're going to see today is James kind of uses this, like, one-two combo challenge to grow us in personal faith. Here's how you grow, believer in Jesus, in your personal relationship with Jesus. He's going to challenge us to do that because he knows if we grow in our personal relationship with Jesus, we can be challenged then to faithfully live that out in public. So, again, take a picture of this. Personal transformation in us leads to public transformation through us. That's kind of what James is getting at here. So, Open your Bibles. If you brought your Bibles with you today, you can open those up. We're not going to put the scriptures on the screen. Remember we said last week, we're, we're going to get accustomed to opening our Bibles and using our Bibles. So if you've got a Bible app, you can open that up, James chapter 1. If you've got a Bible, open that up, James chapter 1. ESV is, again, what we're reading out of. If you've got a different translation, that's fine too. But here's what it says. Sorry, I took like, I don't know, is anybody else's allergies going nuts? Yeah, great, thank you. I, take, I took a decongestant today, and now I'm like, like my, I'm just drying out on the inside. Um, I've been through like four water bottles this morning. So here's what it says. James chapter 1, starting in verse 2. He says this, Count it all joy, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kinds. Because he says this, For you know that the testing of your faith 
will produce steadfastness. So James goes right out of his intro and straight into, hey, when you're under fire, when you're in the midst of a trial, be joyful. Like I said, 108 verses, 50 of them are challenges. Right? He doesn't, he doesn't pull any punches, right? He doesn't, like, James doesn't wait. He doesn't kind of go in soft. And so here's, here's what he does. He's starting out with the rhythm of personal transformation leads to public transformation, right? Here's what he starts out with. He specifically is challenging us to, to kind of look at how we respond personally when we face trials. And this word for trial that you see there is literally things that test us. Right? It was a word that was used in like goldsmith and silversmith work, right? So it was like, we're testing this. We're testing this to see how pure it is. We're testing this to see really what this is worth. So a trial is something that tests us. And so James says, listen, instead of being overwhelmed in the midst of trial with stress, worry, and anxiety, right? He says this, here's what happens. With Jesus... With Jesus bringing this kind of personal transformation in us, we can shift away from stress, worry, and anxiety into joy. Joy that's rooted in faith. And here's the thing getting about joy. Joy is a way of living, not an emotion. See, I think a lot of the times what happens is we get joy and happiness confused a lot. Happiness is a feeling. Happiness is an emotion. Joy Joy is a way of living. It's a state of being. It's a mindset, right? And so here's what we know. Joy can actually coexist with mourning. Joy, joy can coexist with mourning. I, I, I remember not, not long ago doing a funeral for someone who passed away, and, and their life, the legacy of their life was one that believed in, loved, trusted, followed, and led people to Jesus. And so, yeah, obviously, when you're doing that funeral, people are sad because they're going to miss the person that they loved. But there's also joy. Why? Because they know that that person's no longer sick. That person's no longer hurting. They're no longer in pain. They are now experiencing the life that we all want to experience, and that is in the presence of Jesus. So there's joy. Joy and mourning can actually coexist. Right? Joy and grief can coexist. Joy and sadness can coexist. Joy, joy and stress can coexist. We can actually be joyful when we are being tested. And in this case, what, what James is saying, we have joy in the midst of a trial. We can have joy when we're being tested and stretched and it feels just like, oh, like I'm just being tested at every point, right? Because here's why. With Jesus, no pain in our life gets wasted. With Jesus, no pain in our life gets wasted. There is no such thing as purposeless pain when we're in a personal relationship with Jesus. Everything he can use. And there's crazy moments like this in scripture. One of the ones that stands out to me the most is, is the story of Joseph. Right, a young man who was beaten up by his brothers and sold as a slave to Egypt. Who spent most of his life in prison and then finds himself kind of as one of the top dogs in the Egyptian government. And his brothers who beat him up and sold him into slavery, they show, up, they show back up again. And what does Joseph say? You meant, you meant to harm me. What you meant to hurt me, God actually worked for good. What you meant to do that was hurtful to me, God actually used that to save lives. You talk about a test. Being able to come on the other side of that and go, you know what, there, 
There's no purposeless pain when we're in a relationship with Jesus. And in this case, what James says is that our test, the testing and the trials that we face, it produces steadfastness in us. Well, that's not a word we use much, right? We don't use the word steadfast that much, right? And so we have to ask, what's that? Like, what is steadfastness? What is James getting at? What's that mean? Here's one of the commentaries I read this week kind of defines steadfastness like this, that it's not just a patience that that passively endures the storms of life, but instead, steadfastness, it's the quality that enables a man or a woman to stand on their feet and face it. That's what steadfastness is. It's not just like, a, I'm going to bunker down and go into the fetal position and wait for this storm to, to pass. It's, no, 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 I'm, I'm going I'm to stand up and I'm going to face this. That's what steadfastness is. And here's what James says. He goes on. He says, and let, back in your Bibles, and let steadfastness have its full effect. James says, so that you may be perfect and complete, lacking in nothing. Now, I'll be honest with you. When I read that, that whole perfect, complete, lacking in nothing, I'm like, well, that's a real high standard. I fall very far from that standard. But here's what I need us to understand. James is not saying that you and I need to try to, as best we can, try to achieve literal perfection. Like, James is not saying, right, that you must be perfect all the time and you can't make mistakes. That's not what he's saying. The, the perfectness and completeness or the lacking in nothing that he mentions here, right, that refers to a process of growth and maturity. And this goes back to even what we talked about this summer when we did our muscle memory series, right, that, it, that it's, it's a process, not perfection, that growing in the with God life that Jesus makes possible, when we say yes to Jesus, growing in that is a process. It's not perfection. It's training, not trying. It's practice. That's what James is talking about here, the process of maturity, of growth and maturity, right? And I shared a Dallas Willard quote a couple weeks ago that still keeps kind of sticking with me. But here's what, what Dallas Willard says when he talks about the process of growing in Jesus. He says, grace stands opposed to earning, but it is not opposed to effort. You can't earn your relationship with Jesus. You can't. You can't be good enough or smart enough that Jesus goes, you know what? You made it. By yourself. No problem. Good job. Right? What James is saying is like, look, you can't, you can't earn your relationship with Jesus, but once you enter into this relationship with Jesus, that the only way in is through the gift of grace through faith. That's it. There's not multiple ways. It is the gift of grace that we receive when we believe in Jesus, that he's enough. So you can't earn that. You can only receive it. But once you step into that relationship with Jesus, we can leverage our personal effort to grow. Right? And according to James, steadfastness is just one of the things that happens in us when we seek to apply some effort when it comes to growing in our personal faith. Like growing in faith, it's not osmosis. Right? You don't lean your head on your Bible and go, oh, it's all in there. It takes a little bit of work. Right? Becoming someone who, becoming somebody who, who prays. Not who just says prayers, but is a prayerful person. That takes work. It takes effort. You grow in that. You have to strengthen muscles that maybe you haven't strengthened. You have to use muscles maybe you've never used before. But, but here's what's at stake, okay? 
James unpacks this for us. At the end of this section, James says, you got a choice. You can either grow, you can grow in personal steadfastness and wisdom or not. But he says, here's what happens. If you don't, he says, it makes us unstable. If you read down through there, James says, this, like, it makes us unstable. If we say, look, we're not going to grow in personal steadfastness, we are not going to grow in wisdom, it makes us an unstable person. You can highlight, circle, underline that word unstable in uh, your Bibles. That word unstable literally means to be double-souled, which means this. It's like my grandfather used to say, you can't ride two horses with one rear end, right? He didn't say rear end, but it's like that. What James is basically saying is, listen, you can't say... You can't say, like, you know, I believe in Jesus here, but I don't here. Like, some days, yes, Jesus, but some days, no, Jesus. He says, what happens when we do that is we literally become double-souled, right? Somebody that says, yes, they have faith in one minute, and no, they don't in the next. And he says, for us, when we do that, we become unstable, like a wave, he says. Like a wave that gets blown over and pushed around by the wind. And when that happens, we're ineffective, when we don't grow in this steadfastness, right, we're limiting. We're limiting our personal growth. And when we limit our personal growth, it makes our public faithfulness ineffective. That's what happens. And so we have to kind of lean into these transformative and transformational moments, even when they come at us like a trial, something that tests us. And here's why. N.T. Wright says this really well. He says, those that follow Jesus are not simply supposed to survive, they are supposed to count. To make a difference in the world, whether through a quiet daily witness of a faithful life or the chance to speak out and act in a way that reveals the gospel to others. The life, the life of a believer is not one that just goes through the motions and tries to make it to another day. The life of a believer is supposed to count. It's supposed to matter to make a difference in the world. And so we have to remember that in this letter, right, James, he's writing this not to a specific audience, but to all believers everywhere. And the time that he's writing this, right, being a believer and a follower of Jesus came with a pretty steep cost. See, Jesus, this Jesus movement was like rapidly expanding back in the day. But here's the deal. There was also a counter movement. Like the Jesus movement was explosive, but there was a counter movement that was working just as hard to stomp it out and prevent it from spreading. And so being a Christian back in this day, the word Christian actually back in James's day was a derogatory term. The word Christian, they, they made it up to make fun of believers in Jesus. The word Christian means little Christ. So it was a, it was a derogatory term. It was a derogatory term that was meant to kind of poke fun at people that were following Jesus. But being a Christian back in this day, at best, here's what, here's what your life was. You got cut off by the religious leaders, and you got cut off by the wealthy people that controlled all of the, the kind of trade and business. And so basically it was this. You're not allowed into church, and you're not allowed to do business, which means it's probably, it's probably really hard to, to, to put food on the table and make a living. And that's at best. At worst, Christians back in this day lived under the threat of being imprisoned or killed. So you can see how it would be pretty easy at this point in time for people to let go of the rope. For people to kind of go into this place of like, yes, I want, to be, I want this personal transformation. Wait, things got really hard. Now I'm under a trial. I'm not sure that I want that anymore. 
It was pretty easy at this point in time for people to let go of the rope. And James says this, for transformation to happen in us and through us, we have to remain steadfast. We don't just wait the storm out. We stand up and face it. And in our group, I'm in a home group on Thursday nights. We actually talked about this last week, last Thursday in our our home group, in our D group. It says, we were talking about the fact that, like, we, we don't face the exact same kind of pressures and persecutions that believers back in this day did, right? But over the last few years, let's just be honest, it hasn't gotten easier to be a Christian. It hasn't gotten easier. I mean, that's why the loaded question last week was so loaded, right? Because, man, if I'm just known as being a believer in Jesus... There are places now in our country and in our culture and in our society where if the only thing you and I were known for was being a follower of Jesus, it would be a deal breaker. Can't work here. Can't be a friend with you. Can't hang out with you. That didn't used to be the case all the time. One person in our group said this, being a Christian now means living under the weight of lots of assumptions. I think that's true. Our country and our world, as it's become more polarized, the old assumptions that Christians faced, you know, or the church faced, you know, things like we're judgy, or we're hypocritical, or we're closed-minded, or maybe just a little crazy. Let's be real, all right? Those are kind of the old assumptions, and we've earned some of those, right? Bad Christians happen to good people all the time. Trust me, like we were standing out at Gaslight, and like we're, we're meeting people up, up in J-Town, and people were asking, like, well, what kind of church are you? Like, what? I'm like, we're normal, that's who we are. But those old assumptions of being hypocritical or judgy or closed-minded, they're still there. But now there's a whole other set of assumptions that gets kind of heaped and piled on those, right? Now, when you say you're a believer, there's a political affiliation that goes with that, right? When you say that you're, you're a Christian, people, they automatically assume that you're like a right-wing fundamentalist, that you belong to some militia and love guns, like, that you only vote one way. And it's, here's the thing. We're, we're, it used to be, right, the old assumption was, and the old kind of working thing was that Christians were known more for what we're against than what we're for. But now, it's not just that we're known for what we're against and not what we're for. Now the assumption is we hate everyone who doesn't believe in what we do or believe in how we live, right, that we hate. It's not just we hate them, that, we're, that this is a hate-filled group. And if you don't believe me, go check out Christian Twitter, right? Don't. It's awful. I mean, it used to, it used to, be, it used to be a day, like there used to be a day where, you know, I would have a conversation with someone or I'd be in a place where I, where I know that there are people in the room that, that aren't believers in Jesus. And you know, we're having small talk or things like that. And inevitably, inevitably, it would come around to, like, they, people start asking, like, what do you do? Like, what's your job? And, you know, I used to go, like, hey, I know what's going to happen. I'm going to say I'm a pastor and all the air goes out of the room. People start looking at their shoes, and they try to figure out, it's like, they try to figure out a way to get out of the conversation. Say, like, oh, you're a pastor. I think my car's on fire. I need to leave, right? And they kind of start to back away slowly. You know, I, this, is, this is extreme, but now, when I say I'm a pastor, I see people's faces change. Like, they get angry. Oh, you're a pastor. Oh, you work at a church. Who do you hate? Were you present at January 6th trying to overthrow the government, right? There's this assumption, right, that this is who we are. But James, what he's doing, what he's echoing for us in this moment, what he's saying, it's not easy to be a believer. James gets that. 
he gets that from a personal perspective. But he also gets that from the, the time and the place that he lived. What James is saying is, listen, you and I, we're going to experience personal growth and transformation. And sometimes that's going to come through trial when it's not easy to be a believer in Jesus. But don't let go of the rope. James is saying, listen, we have to face trials with joy. And when trials and the things that, that, that test us, when the assumptions, when the weight of assumptions wants to crush us, he says, listen, that's not a point in time. That's not the time that you want to cut and run. That's the time you want to drive your roots deeper into your relationship with Jesus. Don't back away from your relationship with Jesus. Press further into your relationship with Jesus. Why? Because it will produce steadfastness in us. And believers in Jesus will become people that don't just wait out the storm. We stand up and face it. And listen, here's the deal. In your groups today, we're going to go through, and, and this week, if you're in a small group or you're on a second hour to today, we're actually going to go through the rest of this, this chapter. We don't have time to do that this morning, but we're going to do kind of a quick flyby. We're going to unpack some of this stuff together later, right? So over the next few verses, really for like the first two-thirds of James chapter 1, James kind of lives in this personal challenge. He's going to press in on challenging us to grow in our faith in Jesus. You can follow along with me real quick. We're going to go fast. James, he touches on growing in wisdom in verse 5. Verse 5 says this, if any of you lacks wisdom, let them ask God who gives generously to all without reproach and it will be given to you. Here's what I need you to understand. Circle wisdom, if you want to write this next to it. Biblical wisdom is not about head knowledge or information. Biblical wisdom literally means skilled living, to be skilled at life. And so James, he says, listen, what we have to do as believers in a time when it's not easy to be a believer, we have to seek wisdom. We have to be more skilled at life than anybody else. We have to, be, we have to grow and seek to be more skilled if we want to survive. You got to be good at this. You have to be a skilled, you have to be skilled at life. James, he goes on, he unpacks like how we deal with and cope with people that want to make our lives difficult. At this point in time, for them, it was the, the kind of the, the rich and wealthy business owners that had cut people off from being able to make a living. James says in verses 9 and 10, he says, listen, boast in your lowliness. Let the lowly brother boast in his exaltation and let the rich in his humiliation. Because like a flower of the grass, he will pass away. He's saying, listen, don't, haters going to hate, Right? Don't give them the time. Don't, don't give ground in your heart and your life against people that are just going to hate no matter what. James talks about temptation in verses 13 and 14. He says, let no one say when he's tempted that I'm being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But if you want to know where temptation comes from, again, James, pretty brutal, right? Each person is tempted when they are lured and enticed by their own desire. You want to know where temptation comes from, James says? You, me, within us. Like God isn't going, God is not tempting us. We fall into it because there are desires within us that pull us in that direction. And I love this, James, when it comes to our personal faith, he helps us stay rooted in God's character. In verse 17, he says, let me remind you who God is. Every good gift and every perfect gift comes from above, comes down from the Father of lights, for, with whom there is no variation or shadow due to change. God doesn't change. He's been good before, he's good now, and he will always be good. James helps us deal with personal anger. Verses 19 and 20, he says, Know this, my beloved brothers, let every person be quick to hear and slow to speak and slow to anger, for the anger of man does not produce the righteousness of God. 
lots of this stuff. All of this we're going to unpack in our groups this week. So if you're not in one, you may want to get in one. And if you want the resource, happy to give it to you. But this is all like James, the first two-thirds of this chapter, James really focuses in on the personal side. But what I want to do is I, I want to see, I want us to see the shift today from kind of this personal transformation that happens in us as we grow in our faith to the public transformation that Jesus brings through us when we live faithfully. Go down to verse 22. Here's where James makes the shift from personal to public. It says this, it says, be doers of the word and not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. He says, for if anybody is a hearer of the word and not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror for he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he's like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres steadfast. James brings it back. The one who looks into the law, who, who faces the storm, and stands, being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts, he will be blessed in his doing. Now, this is the shift. James says, listen, we got to start with, we have to start with us. We have to start with the personal transformation that takes place in us, right? The way we grow in our relationship with Jesus through the Holy Spirit, through the word, everything that's, that's made available to us, it starts here. But at some point, it's got to cross over here. It's got to make its way out. And you could probably guess, right? James is not really talking literally about somebody looking into a mirror, studying their face, and forgetting what they look like the second they walk away. That's not what he's talking about. James isn't really talking about mirrors and faces, right? What James is talking about here is how we approach the Word of God, how we approach the Bible. See, the challenge here for James is for us to look at our lives, our being, that's who we are, right? Our identity. He wants us to look at all of who we are, both the internal and the external, our being, the internal, our identity, who we are, and our doing, the external, how we live. The challenge from James is to look at every aspect of who we are in light of God's standard for life, what James calls the perfect law. And God's standard for life, it's, it's, it's lined out for us in the Bible. You want to know, it's like, how, what... What does God want for me? What does God desire? What, what kind of life does God desire for me? He lines it out for us in Scripture. And not only does God line out the kind of life he wants for us in Scripture, his son then lived it perfectly. So we have the instructions and an example. This is the challenge from James. It's like, listen, we got to start to look at our lives in light of what God desires for us and the example Jesus sets for us. And so there are two paths. There's two paths, right? There's two deals on the table. We talk about this a lot. Here's the first deal. You can hear truth and do nothing, which is this. I see and I hear what God desires for me, but I'm not going to do anything about that or anything with that. Parents in the room, you've probably experienced this, right? When you look at your kids and you try to instruct your kids, you try to help your kids because you've got perspective and you've got experience and you've got knowledge. And you're like, listen, here's what I think you should do. Here's probably the best way to do this. And they go, nah. Like Jack, Jack's, Jack's school basketball season started yesterday. And Jack's a phenomenal basketball player. I'm, I'm hoping one day that he wears the blue and white at the University of Kentucky. Um, just because I want to be able to go to the games and like sit down closer, right? 
But I was trying to tell him, I was trying to give him some instructions. Granted, I'm a terrible basketball player, right? I'm better with my feet than with my hands. So I'm trying to help him out, and I'm talking to him about, hey, like, this is what you can do. Here's how you can, here's how you can tweak your game a little bit. And he looks at me, and he's like, I'm sorry, what did you say? Like, were you, were you talking to me? And I'm like, yes, were you not paying attention for the last 10 minutes? Like, when I'm like, I've got, like, games pulled up on my iPad. I'm like, watch this, Jack, in slow motion. I'm drawing, like, see how this guy goes here and cuts over this screen and goes back. And then, and then you make the pass. It's like, you see this? He's like, wait a minute, were you, were you talking to me? And I'm like, ah, right? It's the same kind of thing. It's the same kind of thing. Like, there's an example that's given to us, right? We, we have truth, and we hear truth. And we have a choice. You can either change, you can do something with it, or not. So the first path is this. I hear truth, not doing anything. The second path is you can hear truth, and you can read truth, and then you can take action to align your being and your doing with the truth that is God's desire for us, that we see and hear. Like James says, it's a perfect law that gives freedom. And I know for some of us, it's like, wait a minute. I thought laws were meant to restrict freedom. Like, perfect law that gives freedom, that's backwards. No, here's, the, here's what happens. Like, there, there are laws that actually are meant to give us freedoms. For example, there are lines on the road that are meant to keep you in a specific lane and going a certain direction. Right? That's the law. The law says you drive on the right side of the road. Right? And you don't cross the line. And you don't, you're not supposed to. Speed. Right? And here, those are the laws. Here's what those laws are designed to hit. They are, they are designed to give you the freedom of staying alive. You don't have to obey those laws. You can jump out of the, like you can go over the guardrail and in the meat. You can, you can do that. But if you do that, you're taking your life and everybody else's life in your own hands. The law is meant to give us the freedom of life. To keep us alive where we're supposed to be. And so this is where it gets uncomfortable, right? Because I think there are a lot of us, and sometimes it's me too, right? We're happy to walk into a church or listen to a podcast or, or hear the word of God and then walk out and not let it have any effect on our lives at all. Like, you know what? I, I, I hear you. I hear what you're saying. But I kind of like the way my life looks. Like, I kind of got it the way I, I, want, I want it right now. I, I don't, I don't want to change. So we're happy to come in. And sit in a service for an hour and a half. And then walk out and do nothing. One author I read, I'm almost done, I promise. One author I read this week says this, it's not enough to merely listen to the word or by the same token merely read it. But there are people who congratulate themselves on simply being hearers of truth. They are actually deceiving themselves. If they do not combine hearing with doing, they put themselves in the most vulnerable position of missing out on sure blessing. Got one last story, and then I'll be done. I was listening to the radio. I was stuck in traffic on, on, I think, the Gene Snyder, probably, one of the roads. But I was listening to the radio. No, Dwight, it wasn't you. But I was stuck in traffic, and there was ad after ad, right? And all of the ads were things that were, like, guaranteed to make your life better. Like, one after another. Like, make you more successful. Make you more wealthy. There was, <laughs> there was an ad for a hypnotist that will help you quit smoking and lose weight. They're actually at the airport tonight, I think, by the hotel by the airport. But here's the thing. Like, as I'm listening to this, it hits me. 
when it comes to the mirrors that we're willing to stand in front of, there are all kinds of things in our lives that are willing to give us directions to a quick fix. And we are suckers for a guarantee. We will put our lives in front of all kinds of mirrors that say, look through me, look through me, look through me, right? They make us promises about change and transformation that at the end of the day, they can't keep and never could. Meanwhile, we have a resource that's available to us that can make a real difference in our lives. And I've shared this in here before, but it's always a stat that kind of blows me away. Year in and year out, the Bible is usually number one or close to the top of the bestsellers list, but also year in and year out, it's also usually number one or close to the top on the most unread books list. A lot of people own them, not many people read them. And Jesus, in his word, says, I want for you, what I want for you is an abundant life, a life that's lived to the fullest extent, a maxed out life. And Jesus says, I want you to see your life through this mirror, through this reflection, through the reflection of my truth. And we say, yeah, Jesus, that's great, but there's a hypnotist by the airport that will help me lose weight. And that's why, you know, the big win for this series, church, is not for people to come in and kind of be wowed by a sermon or a preaching or, or bands. or Like, that's not it. We're not here to entertain you. Like, I'm not here for your personal entertainment, right? That's not the big win of this series is for our church, Adventure Church, to grow in becoming people of the word. That love it. That read it. That need it. That attach our lives to it. That know how to put our lives in front of it. And then let God tell the truth about what he wants for us. And then align our lives to God's truth and desire. To let the Bible, to let his word and his truth affect change in us and through us. And so when we read the Bible, we need to continually ask ourselves two questions, right? What is God saying to me or about me and my circumstances and situations? And then number two, what am I going to do about it? The issue is this. We usually stop at number one and we don't move to number two. And when we do this, here's how this, here's how this plays out. If we simply stop, if we simply just stop at knowing and hearing, here's where you're going to land. In self-righteousness and rules and religion. That's where you'll be. Remember I said bad Christians happen to good people? If you just stop at knowing and, and hearing, that's where you're going to land. Self-righteousness, rules and religion. But if we let truth push through our hearts and our minds and into our bodies if we let truth push through to understanding and application and doing, here's where you're going to land. In a deeper, obedient, loyal, and humble relationship with Jesus. And i got to be honest with you. That kind of life, a deep, personal, humble, loyal relationship with Jesus, that's a compelling life. I think a lot of times as Christians, we believe in order to be compelling, we have to have all the information to be able to argue and debate and do all this kind of, no, here's what you need to be compelling. You want to live a life that people go, what is your secret? It's that. Let the word of God press deep into who you are so that you land in this deep, personal, obedient, loyal relationship, humble relationship with Jesus. That's a compelling life. And James, he closes out chapter one by saying this, if anybody thinks that he is religious, who they are, Think about your identity. If you think you're religious, but you don't bridle your tongue, you deceive your heart and your religion, what you do is worthless. If you just want to, here's what, you might have a lot of information stored up here. And you might be able to talk a good game. But when you act, 
without letting hearing and listening turn into doing, when you act, you just go through the motions. And in the end, James says that that religion, the exercise that you're trying to do is worthless. Because there's no personal transformation happening in you. And when there's no personal transformation happening in you, public transformation can't happen through you. Make sense? So James says, he closes out the chapter, he says, religion that is pure and undefiled before God the Father is this. To visit, that word visit means to invest your life in. Orphans and widows and their affliction. And keep them to keep oneself unstained from the world. Bottom line is this, when it comes to sharing the gospel, here's what James says to all believers. Show people what you believe with your life. Sharing the gospel doesn't only happen through words and information. We say this a lot here, right? It's part of one of our high five core values and priorities. We say this, people have to know that you care before they care what you know. And what James is challenging us to do throughout chapter one is to let others see faith in you and experience faithfulness through you so that they then have the opportunity to believe it themselves. Right, so you ready for this week's loaded question? Here it is. Are you willing to grow, to put the effort in to grow in your personal, trans the personal transformation that Jesus is doing in you? And then let that become the public transformation that Jesus can do through you in the lives of others. It's gonna take some effort. Last week, the challenge that I gave everybody in the church was to read through the entire book of James. And so here's what I'm gonna ask you to do. Do it again. Do it again, but now you have a lens in which to see through. This week, when you read the book of James, where's James challenging you to grow personally? James says, listen, it's gonna take some effort. It's gonna take some work. Are you willing to do that? Are you willing to accept James's challenge to grow personally? And then as you read through the book of James, you know what else you're going to see? He's going to, see, he's going to, he's going to challenge you to take the personal growth and transformation that's happening in you and make it public. Are you willing to do that? See, now you've got a new lens. You've got a new lens in which to see things. So my challenge is read the book of James again. Put in some effort. Accept some challenges. Whether it's personal or public, accept those challenges so that we can see the same kind of revival in our church and in our town and in our communities and in our families and in our lives and our friendships, the same kind of revival that James was experiencing in this moment, even though everything in the world was trying to shut it down, we stand strong, we stand up and we face the storm and we don't move. Why? Because we are rooted in the truth and the word of God. I'm gonna pray for us here in a second. We're gonna worship. And if, if today you, you want to say yes to Jesus, maybe you've been on that fence for a while and somebody like James, you're going, I'm not quite sure, but today is the day you want to go, you know what, I'm, I'm, I'm pushing my chips to the center of the table, I'm going all in, let's do this. I would love to meet with you, I'll be down here, we can talk about that. If you need prayer this morning, I would love to pray with you, we'll have some people here that, that would love to pray with you. If you just want to spend some time in prayer in this next song, we've got a place up here by the cross that you can hang out and pray. If you want to learn more about this church and be a part of what we're doing here, we'd love to chat with you about that too. Let's pray and then we'll worship. Jesus, you're good and we love you. We're so grateful for your word. Your word that, that challenges us, that says, listen, you don't, you don't have to stay the same. You, you don't have to stay where you're at. You can change. Change is possible. There's no one that is too broken or too far gone or too messy. So 
And Father, I pray today that we walk out of here going, yeah, you know what? It's time to grow some roots. It's time to be someone that's connected to the word of God. It's time to take action, not just be someone that listens, but someone that does. Father, I pray you meet us in those places. You meet us in those places and you grow us. You change us, you transform us. Father, that we begin to see the transformation that, that your Holy Spirit brings, not only